0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: What up? This is Myron, and you are listening to the Rye Bread and Mustard, a Mariners podcast The down on the docks on the other side of the tracks dive bar style podcast of and about the seattle mariners that you are listening to on the odyssey app or hey wherever else you're getting that podcast action from listen i'm not judging as long as you're liking subscribing and sharing and all that good stuff hey and those same feelings go for our youtube channel as well look if you haven't said hello stop by the socials or hey if you got something strongly worded to say you can always hit us up at rye bread and mustard podcast at gmail.com and look maybe you're kind of meh On the podcast, but you've seen that gear, you want to be in that gear, you want that street cred for wearing the rye bread, you can hit up at simply.cora. That's at simply.cora on Etsy or on Instagram. All right, I think that's all the house cleaning because you know why we had to do all this house cleaning? Because we got a special guest today. We're talking about Brett Boone, legendary Mariner second baseman. He's here sitting down with me and Hannah. We're just having a fun conversation about memories from his career and picking his brain about the two strike approach now in MLB, Um, how he got ready, how he got himself ready. You know, this is a guy that got four gold gloves. We kind of talked about like what that preparation was like Kind of get a glimpse of what it was like to go into Lou Piniella's office. And look, we talk a little bit about, you know, his brother's objections that are going on. You know, there was one that made the headlines last week. We talk a little bit about him starting his podcast and just kind of getting to know Brett. He actually has a podcast, if you already didn't know, right here on Odyssey. It's called, it's easy to remember, The Brett Boone Podcast, hosted by Brett Boone. If you're not already checking that out. Again, go check that out Like, subscribe It's a legit awesome podcast Especially for a baseball fan The guests are A-listers In the game of baseball And in the sports world And you know even the entertainment world So go check that out Anyways, we had a really good time talking to Brett Anyways, I'm going to shut the hell up And get out of the way So you can listen to the newest episode Of the Rye Bread and Mustard of Mariners podcast With special guests
2: Get ready to play hardball in the kingdom. Take me to the ball game. I want to see the ants. The mariners are playing hardball. Did it again and again and again. Did it again. Princess Tours, the vacation company, brings you the best show in baseball when the San Diego chicken plays hardball with the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore Orioles tonight in the Kingdom.
1: We got a special guest. We got four-time Gold Glove winner, three-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger, and look—the reason why I bleached my hair back in the 2000s. <laughs> Mariners legendary, <laughs> Mariners legendary second baseman, and now host of the Brett Boone podcast right here on Odyssey. It's an Odyssey original.
0: What's up, Brett? How you doing, guys? Doing good. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. You had the hair, huh? You had the hair.
1: Oh, I, I had the hair. I had the I had the bleached hair. Didn't have quite the physique, but I, you know I tried. I was young. That was like my college look. <laughs>
0: that that was my thing. My kids, my kids still tease me about it. And I, they said, Dad, you get it. Why don't you go bleach your hair? I said, Dad's get a little old for that. I said, that was that was just a phase I went through. It was kind of a shtick. And I used to tell people when I'd bleach my hair, I'd say the city expects it, so just don't worry about it. Get out of my way every three weeks. I, I had my routine, but uh, that was a lot of fun. A lot of a lot of great times in Seattle.
1: Did you get your hair done by somebody here, or, is this, or did you? I
0: did. Yourself? No, I did. Uh, I had a a young lady would come to the ballpark. Actually, at the time it was Safeco Field, uh, and I had a barber chair. I think nowadays in the big leagues it's pretty commonplace to have a barber chair. Guys get their hair cut. They have whoever come to the ballpark. But I think we were one of the original. Uh, it was a hair bleaching station, and and there was a couple guys on the Mariners that would get it done too. But every three weeks, she would come in. Uh, we had a little little uh, office space off the off the clubhouse, and I'd get it done. So that was that was fun. I that brings back pretty pretty cool memories.
1: You know, you brought us a lot of great memories, uh, especially during 2001 through the 2005 season. But uh, we, we got to be honest, we had such a blast watching you in the celebrity softball game, didn't we, Hannah?
2: Oh, yeah, we had a great time. Uh, We didn't really know what to expect. Man, you guys put on a show. You still
0: got it, don't you? Well, I could could fake anything for a second. Uh, (laughs) You know, I I really, they they had called me a couple months prior and they asked if I'd do it. And I thought, you know, uh, it's Seattle. It's probably fitting that I go back there and play in that game. And I said, okay, why not? And I I remember taking the field right after that, the the Futures game, because we just preceded that. Uh, and I remember getting there and go, you know, two months ago, this sounded like a really good idea. And now I don't know what, what to expect. And I remember Mike Cameron came over to me, says, Booney, what are we going to do? Cause I saw, you know, the lineups were made out and I was leading off. I said, well, I, I kind of have to hit a home run, don't I? And there was still a pretty good crowd. We didn't know what the crowd was going to be like, but there was probably at least 20,000 people in the stands. And I'm thinking, I got to do something. So, so Cammy asked me and I said, I'm going to hit a home run. I'm going to try to hit it down a left field line. We'll see how big the ballpark's playing. See how hard the balls are. The bats are live and I hit it and I came back and he's just laughing. At it. And I said, yeah, you, you go wherever you want. I said, the ball's going to jump for you and Cammie ended up hitting a home run his first at bat, but it was, it was fun. I didn't know what to expect. I kind of knew what to expect from the athletes that were on hand, uh, but the YouTubers and the, and the singer-songwriters, I, uh, JoJo Siwa, I didn't know what to expect. And to my – I was pleasantly surprised how good they were. I mean, they, you're right. They put on a show, and I went from before the game thinking, what did I get myself into, to when the game ended. I think we ended up winning 21-19. Uh, I really actually enjoyed myself. <laughs> I'll admit it right here. It was actually a good time and uh a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, you got a WWE championship belt. Oh,
0: it's pretty cool, isn't it?
1: I'm not kidding. We we're there watching the futures game, and it's a little tough if you don't if you're not like a real baseball savant nerd and know everything going around. But for the casual fan, the futures game was you know, it was all right. And then it was kind of like one of these things where once you guys hit, I can't tell you how much that energy in that building just went up especially when you hit the home run cameron hits the home run but like it just really took us back especially when you hit that first home run you hit it was just a big moonshot and that energy in that building went up they're playing here comes the boon ready or not you know we were ready to to walk it felt like 2001 we were ready to walk over to tiki bobs after
0: tiki bobs i remember that yeah it was, and you know what I, you know what I found because I was pretty busy during that all-star week and and I had a lot of, uh, engagements that I was going to a lot of meet and greets and just walking around that city for, for all-star week, interacting with the fans and fans come up to you, you know, especially when I'm in Seattle, usually fans just want to come up and shake your hand and say, hi, hey, thanks for the memories. You know, we, and they always go, go back to the early two thousands. But a lot of the fans after that game were coming up and saying, Brett, you know, we were at the Futures game. We were ready to watch the softball game. We had no idea what to expect. It was our first celebrity softball game we've been to. And it was it was great. Like you explained, they said they really had had fun and were really entertained. So I, I think it was a hit all around. I think Seattle did a really good job. Uh Wire to wire, because you look at it nowadays, and it's such a big production—from the futures game to, to Griffey's game, which is before the the uh, the futures game to the celebrity softball game, to the home run derby, to the actual game itself. There's so much that goes into it. I think using uh, Seahawks Seahawks field for for stuff off campus uh, was a great venue, and I think the city of Seattle they they kind of turned it out and did a really nice job.
2: Rye Bread and Mustard, a Marinus podcast. We
0: have
1: the one and only Mr. Tom Hutler. Do you have any of your favorite stories from the kingdom?
2: There was a time we had an earthquake, and so we they were going to evacuate the building. So I was like getting up to go and leave. They go, no, you can't go. You got to read these <laughs> safety things. It's like,
1: Do we need to tell them that there's smoking's <laughs> only on the
2: exterior ramps? Yeah. Yeah. And Dave came shooting past. He signed off. I'm going, wait, I'm the only one here. Listen and subscribe to Rye Bread and Mustard, a Marinus podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. I'm watching the Mariner game the other night, Brett. And uh, Dan Wilson and Mike Blowers are on the call. And they start talking about Lou Pinella. And Dan mentions that he's played for Lou Pinella for nine years. And Mike says, well, I played for him for five. But I've probably been in his office a lot more than you ever have. Can you maybe share with our audience any times maybe you got called into Lou Pinella's office?
0: Ooh, more times than I want to uh, <laughs> really share. I played for Lou for, for parts of uh, – no, for – shoot, what did I play? 93 was Lou's first year over. I was a rookie. And that's what I remember the most. Lou and myself, we did not see eye to eye when I was a kid. And we had many a go around. I got sent down. I think I got sent up. Uh, set down, brought back up three separate times in 1993. Before I, I, I eventually stuck, and uh, then he traded me to the Cincinnati Reds. But in the beginning, like I said, we did not see eye to eye. We were constantly kind of at each other's throat, and and I mean to the point where I get called in his office, and we never fought physically, fought, but we came close wow. a few times. Where where Lou is just he was that he's Lou, and yeah. he's got a young kid. A brash young kid and myself who who, I'm just I'm just swinging hard and, and trying to make a name for myself, trying to become a big leaguer. And he was giving me that tough love. And uh, once we got through that and, and the second half of 1993, I, I played well, <laughs> he ended up trading me. Uh, and the press thought it was because Lou and and me were at odds and we weren't by the end of 93, we were kind of buddies. I mean, he was calling me in on the weekends. We'd bet on football against each other. And so we had a nice relationship when I got traded to the reds, I didn't take it as a, as a, as a negative thing. I I, I just thought that's business. You know, we got Danny Wilson coming back to, to Seattle that, to replace a Dave Valley who had been there a while. And we had a plethora of, of young, talented infielders in the, in the Mariners organization. And the Reds needed, needed a young second baseman. And it was business as usual. I went to Cincinnati, enjoyed my time there. Uh, fast forward, I came back in 2001. And I think Lou was a, a pivotal part in getting me back. And the relationship was completely different the second time around. You know, I was a, a nine-year veteran And, and Lou had had nine more years of experience and he, to this day, he, he's one of my favorite, not my, not only my favorite manager, but he's one of my favorite people in life. And I got to spend some time with him at the all-star game and, and, uh, you know that that old Oh one crew got back together for just, just 20 minutes before we got announced on the field. And, and it, I, I was doing my job. I was sitting on the couch with, with skip. And I was winding him up and then letting him go. And he was entertaining the crowd and, and, and all the players that were there. And it felt like 2000, like you mentioned earlier, felt like 2001 again. So I can't say enough good things about Lou Pinella. Yes. I had some tough times with him. He taught me a lot. Uh, he gave me some tough love. He he was a part of my maturation process. I grew up under Lou a little bit. And uh, he's one of those guys, he's not for everybody. He needs to respect you as a man. And then secondly, as a ball player, if he respects you in both in, in both categories, that man will go through a wall for you. If he doesn't, you're probably not going to be able to play for him. And that's just the way Lou Piniella is. There's only one Lou. They cut, they, they broke the mold when, when, when they made Lou Pinella, And, uh, but to this day, one of my favorite men on this planet and uh, a big part of, of my career. I don't know what it is, Dr. Pinella. My life just isn't going the way I'd planned it. Every time I turn a corner, there's some sort yeah. of yeah.
2: Wine, wine, wine. I've had it with your excuses. Yeah. You're acting like a loser. But I... you want therapy? Yeah. I'll give you therapy. Get off your duff. Get out of here and make something happen. Do I make myself clear?
0: Aren't you glad he decided to manage the Mariners instead?
2: Next. Pinella has erupted. He's gone out to home plate, covering home.
0: Calls for season there. tickets.
2: You talk about Lou; he's such a treasure uh, for the fans and us watching him. Um, you're right; there is only one Lou Pinella. But since you mentioned that, it kind of popped into my head. He was flamboyant in his ejections. Just recently, your brother, Yankee manager, and Aaron Bood just had a flamboyant <laughs> ejection against <laughs> Laz Diaz. That's what he does. How would you rate the two against each other?
0: Well, Aaron, uh, you know, I just did a show earlier today about this and that question. Oh, really? Was- was posed to me because i I talked to aaron right after uh that day we talk once every week sometimes once every uh, every couple weeks and it just so happened that night he gave me a call right after the game and and i had caught it briefly i i wasn't watching it live you know i'll get a text from a buddy hey uh uncle aaron got thrown out of the game again i said what's new he always does (laughs) but he called me and and we went through it i had seen a clip of it and i said hey you had a good time tonight didn't you and he's like I could tell, you know, they had lost the game, and he was just kind of, yeah, you know, it was a rough one. And when I watch like the stuff like that, to me, it puts a smile on my face because because it reminds me of our childhood. That's truly what Aaron's like. He was like that when he was six years old. You know, I'd I'd let him tag along with my buddies. You know, my little brother. They they really liked Aaron. He was he was entertaining. He was fun to have around. He had a little squeaky voice. Um, and I'd take him with me. We'd play touch football, we'd play wiffle ball, and Aaron was always allowed to tag along. I wanted, you know, I wanted him to be a part of it. Now, when the guys were too big and and it was kind of out of his space, as far as he he wasn't big enough or wasn't old enough, well, we'd sit him on the sidelines, but for the most part, we'd let him hang out with us. And he would argue like that on, on playing touch football if he thought it was a first down and it wasn't a first down. That's Aaron yelling at me. And I just kind of have him, you know, at bay with my hand because he's a little kid. But he'd be arguing with me like that. He's always been like that. He's always had that passion. Uh, he, he is he's loyal to a fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, he yeah. backs his players. He's got his players back. They know that. And he's deeply <laughs> he's got convictions. I mean, he's a he's a. He's a very faith-based man. He's a God-fearing man. He always wants to do the right thing. He's like my dad in a lot of ways. You know, he's, he's, these are guys that run traffic lights and and go down to the courthouse and turn themselves in that they ran a yellow light. Whereas the rest of us just move on and say, ah, that it was yellow. It wasn't red. Uh, That's just the kind of people Aaron and my dad are. They're very similar. And I know he goes out there with, because he's so passionate about what he does He doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. He doesn't want to make anybody look bad. I know he likes uh, Laz, I believe, was, was the umpire. He's a good guy, and I know Aaron likes him. And he's like, yeah, and he's such a good man, Brett. I, I didn't mean to. And I know he doesn't mean to. He goes out there with one thing in mind. I've got to tell you what I'm seeing from the sidelines from a professional standpoint. And then he gets carried away. And next thing you know, he's imitating uh, Laz. <laughs> it's great. great for me. It's great for me. Arnie. <laughs> I call him Arnie. I said yeah. it's great for me. I just sit back. I remember that. That reminds me of our childhood, and it brings back a lot of fond memories. Of you arguing with me about the wiffle ball, how far I hit it, and you say it didn't go that far. So, uh, it's cool. It's real. It's just how Aaron is, and uh, yeah, I get a kick out of it time to time. After a while, you know, sometimes I'll say, "Would you clean it up? Quit getting thrown at it." <laughs> you know, I'll give, give him a little hard time, but but uh, it's tough. You know, being the skipper in, in New York, uh, it's not, there's no other place like it. You know, we're, we're constantly day in and day out. You're on that, you're on that, you're on that burner and and you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're like a pinata and, and anything short of winning the world series, it's, you know, they want you, they want your head on a, they want your head on a plate. So, uh. You know, you, you know what you're signing up for when you when you sign up to be the skipper in the New York Yankees. He knows what it's about. But I think in the end, if you can win a championship in New York, uh, that'll make all the hardship and, and stuff you go through and the, criti- the the criticizing that you get on a daily basis. It'll make it all worth it in the long run.
1: Yeah, I, I was, uh, you know, on YouTube and I just recently saw your very first home run you ever hit. And there's, it's great footage of it too. Like whatever camera they were using in 92. Sometimes you get those weird broadcasts. It's a really great uh, video. Can you like talk us through your first major league home run?
0: Oh, I do. I, I remember where it was. It was in Boston. And uh, I got called up a couple of days earlier and it was uh, Camden Yards. that made my debut. I got through the first game. That was a, I, I remember I didn't sleep the night before flew all day on a plane Got to Camden Yards, had a big press conference. Next thing I know, I was in the game. Got a base hit, my first at bat. I ended it. I think we ended the game. Omar Vizquel was the shortstop. We ended it on a double play. And I remember going back and collapsing in my hotel room. I had this big suite, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. This is not like AAA. And then we got to Boston, and I had a corner room. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they just the, the Mariners did it for my initial call up. They kind of gave me the you know r- red carpet treatment. Uh, but I remember going to Boston and it was like, wow, we're at Fenway Park. I've seen this on TV. My grandpa played here. Uh, and I just, you know, I was just surviving. I was a young kid that that this is my whole life. This is all I've ever wanted to do. I'm finally getting my opportunity. And I just wanted to do good. You know, I just didn't want to I wanted to do well and prove that I belong here. And I don't remember too much about it. I remember breaking ball. And I kind of got out on my front foot, but I kept my weight backing up, and I just kind of flipped it, and I said, oh, I think that's a homer. And back then, it was before the before the seats were up there, and you hit it into the net, mm-hmm. and uh, they went and got the ball for me. They pretended like they didn't find it, but they, they ended up getting the first <laughs> ball for me. And, um,
2: Did you get a beer shower?
0: No, I didn't. I didn't. But I, I do remember that, and, and it, to me, I, I just remember hitting it, knew it was a homer just put my head down, ran around the bases. Cause that's what we did back then. There was no, none of this <laughs> pimping homers and doing stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. I got back in my, you know, my, I, I think my teammates kind of gave me the. No high fives, the, the silent treatment. Then they kind of piled on and said, Hey, congratulations. Your first home run. So that's what I remember about that. Uh, wasn't that big of a deal. I I knew I was excited because that tape you're talking about back then we didn't have The Internet. We couldn't go on our phone and watch everything up to date. So that was one of those things where I'm getting on the phone right after the game and I'm going, Mom, did you have it taped? Did you put it in the VCR? And she's like, yeah. Next thing you know, they're sending me tape over, you know, through the mail so I could see my first home run. So back then, that was a big deal to get to get that footage. But uh, any any first, you know. My first hit, I remember it was great. My first home run, you know, first time you get elected to an all-star game. First gold glove I won. A lot of firsts in baseball uh, that that you dream about when you're a kid and, and, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough I got to fulfill a lot of those dreams and and, uh, pretty good life, pretty blessed life. High drive left field by the rookie. High into the pale sky and into the screen for a homer. Brett Boone with his first major league homer and the Mariners lead six to three well a big big charge for the youngster and the good news for him is that he'll
2: probably be able to get that ball back it stayed in the net so after the game somebody can climb up there and get it for him and he'll have his souvenir for his first major league home run yeah, hey, Brett Boone, he mentioned the 13 home runs that he had at the minor league level. I mean, he's put together. He's stocky. He looks like he's strong and looks like he may able to deliver some home runs. Certainly does right there.
0: Well, his dad, who is managing in the minors, force here there's the ball.
2: Yeah, that's one that somebody's got to chase down and put up in his mantle. First, he's got his first hit this week. Now, his first home run. Wow.
1: Speaking of your gold glove, what was your like day-to-day preparation uh, you know, to for for yourself out in the field,
0: um, I'll tell you, it when I was a young kid, when I was in the minor leagues, I, I, uh, you know, I was always hearing, you know, when they have the prospect reporter, they talk about you coming up, it was always Brett Boone, he's an offensive second baseman, he's going to be this hitter. And, and I always took that as wait a minute, I'm a really good defender, and I worked really hard in the minor leagues at, at my uh defense. I mean, I was out there for for 20, 30 minutes a day. Once I got to the big leagues and got comfortable, my routine really was no big deal. It was during batting practice. I'd take ground balls for about seven, eight minutes and that's all I needed. And I had three different, you know, I'd go, you know, forehand backhand. I'd come into the grass and and I'd have whoever's hitting the fungal that day, just hit balls as hard as they could at me for about, you know, five or six reps. And that was pretty much it. Because defense is, you know, I see a lot of guys working on defense and I don't understand it. Because once you get to a certain level defensively, it's like you know how to do it. And it has nothing to do with your hands or, or, or it has to do with your feet. It's all about footwork. Great, great field, gold glove, great defenders have great footwork. It has nothing to do you hear all the time. He's got great hands. Well, everybody in the big leagues has very good hands. The elite players have the elite footwork. And that's what makes you a gold glover is you get good jumps, you get good hops. If you give any fielder in the big leagues 10 out of 10 good hops, they're probably not going to make an error. But the great ones get nine out of 10 good hops. and The mediocre ones get seven out of 10. And that's what <laughs> separates a, a good defender from a great defender. It's all in the footwork. And I worked on my, my footwork quite a bit in the minor leagues.
2: Man, I love that perspective, hearing about defense like that. Um, you, you also had a double play combo. Who was your favorite and, and the, the guy you love to turn double plays
0: with the most throughout your career? <sighs> Let's see. Uh, Omar and myself were together a very short, short time. We both left Seattle shortly after that. So my, my reign in, in uh, Cincinnati, Barry Larkin. Uh, it was yeah. kind of like a magical thing. I mean, we really knew each other, Uh, not to get kind of weird, because I always believed you worked hard and and none of that voodoo stuff. Oh, I know what my partner's thinking and all that. I'll tell you, after I played five years with Barry, I I started to believe in that type of stuff. I mean, (laughs) it seemed like first it comes with, with the middle infield combination. It comes with trust. And it's I can freewheel, I can take chances, I can take risk and and make unbelievable plays, and I trust my partner that he's going to be there. And if I don't have to make a perfect throw, he's going to make a non-perfect throw look perfect by his footwork. So I, he he gave me the freedom to freewheel and just try to make try to make every unbelievable play because I knew if I didn't. And I didn't quite give him that good feed. Barry was going to make it look like a good feed, and he was going to do what he needed to do on that end, and vice versa. He could freewheel at shortstop, and he could make up stuff and take big-time chances because he knew I was going to be there, and I he knew I was going to handle my end of the deal. So for that five years, that, that's about as special as it comes. I'll tell you, I really enjoyed my time with Carlos Guillen in Seattle. He was great, unbelievable around the bag. Um, so those are my two my two favorite guys.
1: What's your opinion on the two strike approach nowadays in baseball
0: versus when you were playing? It doesn't really exist. Does it? Um, no. <laughs> oh. the reason that the two strike approach came, you know, and I still get asked about it to this day and, and this isn't for everybody. And I, I don't, you know, I baseball, especially at the big league level, especially hitting is a very individualized, uh, thing. The, the mat, it, everything doesn't work for everybody. We're very individualistic. We all have to do the same things uh, when the ball's in the hitting area to be successful, but how we get there is, is a very individualistic process. For me, it was two strikes. And I thought, you know, I strike out about a hundred times a year. That's just the way it is, but I want to get more hits. So I came up with this two strike approach and it's a mindset for me. It's a mental thing versus uh, versus a physical. I knew when I, Get down in my two strike approach. I choke up on the bat. I didn't have to think about protecting the plate. My body language was automatically telling my mind, you're protect, you're in protect zone now. So anything close, that means if it's two inches off the plate, I got to foul that pitch off. And I know that, whereas if I'm in a 3 1 count or a 2 0 count, that's a take. But with two strikes, I'm not going to let that umpire ring me up. He's not going to send me back to the dugout and me arguing, ah, that's off the plate. Doesn't matter whether it's on the plate or off the plate. That's out of your control. That's it. You you Mm -hmm. put the the control into that umpire's hands. So that's why I came up with the two strike approach was to set my mind, put my mind in a mental space where I knew I had to protect. I didn't have to tell myself that it was already automatic by my stance and by my choke choking up on the bat, my mind knew protect zone. And what I found out over time was I struck out just as much, but I got a lot more hits. So it, mm-hmm. it was a I, I didn't cut down on my strikeouts, but I really uh, excelled from an average standpoint because most people hit one something with two strikes. And, and I went from one something to two something with two strikes. And, and it doesn't seem like a lot. But if let's just say if you hit 210 with two strikes, I'll guarantee if we look it up right now, if you're a 210 hitter with two strikes, you're in the top percentile of the game because two strikes is just so, so against you. I, I I wanted it to be not such a disadvantage when I got to two strikes and I found for me that goofy stance that I got into and choke it up in the bat really worked for me.
2: So since we're talking hitting what a uh, pitcher gave you the most difficult uh, time when you were at the plate and on the flip side, which pitcher did you just own and eat for lunch when you're at the plate?
0: Well, oh, man, Need for a I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely had my guys that, that I, I liked facing. Um, but, but the question of who was tough, you know, I, cause there's a lot of guys that were tough, man. Kevin Brown. I remember in the day was a pain in the neck. Randy Johnson was a pain. Pedro. I did okay off of Clemens. I did okay off. That doesn't mean I liked facing them. Their stuff was still nasty, but I, I, I found a way to come out of there with a hit and it, it, it hit in a walk. Maybe, uh, but, but I've narrowed it down. There were a lot of tough ones that I faced, but I narrowed it down to this, the 90s, Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. Because I remember it's ingrained yeah. in my head. When I was in Cincinnati, we'd go to Atlanta and it was always Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. And I think to this day, uh, you know, I think there's a really good argument that could be made. They're the greatest staff of all time. And they were three aces. They were completely different, how they went about their business, how they went about their craft. You know, Maddox was a, was a, technician uh Smulzy was that more classic over-the-top fastball slider couldn't pick his slider up out of his release point so everything looked like a fastball uh and glavin was the classic crafty left-hander but had more velocity than than you want and, and the one thing they had in common all three of them is they could they were so accurate with their they didn't miss they didn't miss location. Their location was so on point. And, and I got to play behind them one year in Atlanta. And I got to see that from a defensive standpoint. Like if, it's, if Maddox is up there and, and Javi Lopez calls for a pitch away, uh fastball away, I know it's going to be a fastball away. Cause, cause that's how pinpoint. So those are the, those are the three, th- those are, my, that's my stock answer these days of who gave you the most trouble. Uh, as far as, as far as in the other side, I I don't really know. I I mean, the guys, there, there's a lot of guys. I'd have to get into the books and find out who I did really well off of. I know who I felt comfortable off, but nobody in particular comes to mind. Like, Oh, you know, maybe Swindell for a while, maybe an Andy Bennis. Uh, I seem to have a lot of success off, but uh, Oh, David Wells. I wore him out my entire career. And then at the (laughs) end, my last couple of times (laughs) facing him, I didn't get a hit. (laughs) You know, because I'd be so excited, like, oh, well, this pitch. And I know I always do well off him. And next thing you know, he's giving me offers and I'm going, damn it. It ran out, you know, shilling early in my career. I had a lot of success later in my career. He came up with that split finger and it was a different animal. So uh, it'd be interesting. I, I haven't really looked at it. I mean, if you if you say a name, I could probably say, oh, yeah, I think I did decent off him. But for the most part, remember the guys that were really tough on you.
1: One of my favorite home runs, though, that you ever hit uh, is off Roger Clemens. It's the one when your helmet comes all my off. My helmet comes off, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's like. If you look at that <laughs>
0: tape, you know what's funny about that tape? Edgar's hitting behind me, I think, that game. And Edgar took Roger deep the same game. Check out the tape. My helmet falls off. If you replay it on my recoil with my bat, my bat hits the helmet. I didn't throw my helmet off. No. And then I didn't know what to do. Because I was five steps out of the box and I thought, do I go get my helmet? And I pause for a second. I think that that'll make me look stupid. And then I ran around the base without a helmet and I felt like naked. I felt so stupid running around the bases. Later in the game, Edgar goes deep. For some reason, his helmet comes off. In the same game, and I remember Roger sent a bat boy over after the game. It says, uh and it, it was in a, it, it was a wink, wink kind of comment, but he says, can you tell Booney and Edgar to keep their helmet on when they take me deep? And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was kind of, it was kind of a funny thing, but yeah, very, very weird. I think it's the only, only home run I ever hit in the big leagues, minor leagues, high school college where my helmet came off and it was off Roger.
1: It was great. You must've just had a fresh tip job too. It's a, yeah, <laughs> it's I did. I looking did. Pretty <laughs> good. Yeah.
2: The world series. Where a pitch is not just a pitch, it's a World Series pitch. Where a hit is not just a hit, it's a World Series hit. A win is not just a win, it's a World Series win. Now, you've got a chance to win a trip to the 1984 World Series by entering Major League Baseball's Grand Slam sweepstakes at all Major League ballparks and participating retailers. Baseball favor,
0: catch it! The preceding message was furnished by Major League Baseball.
1: Couple of quick things uh, before we get you out of here. Um, we just uh, sat down with Jim Copasino from uh, Copasino Fujikado. They do all the Mariners commercials, all the classic mm-hmm. ones that they were in, and he he talked very fondly about you and Jay Buhner being like the clubhouse guys of letting the guys know, hey, these are important, fun things to do, and kind of passing that on and throughout the years. Oh, the commercials! Um, oh, the commercials! Were yeah, h-
0: hilarious. They were fun. Uh, I think the Mariners especially do an unbelievable job year in and year out with the commercials. My favorite are watching all the Edgar commercials just because he's Edgar and he's got that broken English and that accent. And, uh, oh, it's a light bat. I I, I could watch Edgar's commercials forever. Uh, but but they do a good job with all of them. And, um, remember the first one that was really fun for me was, uh, when I was flipping the bat. So then they wanted me to flip a phone and flip a rake. And I did that commercial. That was a lot of fun. One time they had Buner buzz night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had to wear <laughs> this thing to make it like I was bald and Jay's in there. Like, you know, it was Jay's last year. He's like,
2: Hey Booney with me gone. Somebody in this clubhouse has got to step up and be
0: a leader, uh, but I don't know if that's me. You're a veteran. You know what it takes. Yeah, but you're the bone. Hey, people are counting on you, Brett. Okay, I'll give it a shot. You really think Booney Buzznight will catch on? Hold still, still. Mariners baseball, Sodo Mojo. Uh, yeah. That was fun. I, I did a commercial one time where where I was making fun of the defender. I got to second base, I hit a yeah. double, and the ball went through his legs, and he's asking me, you know, I'm kind of being the cocky guy, and he says, uh, I'm
2: so embarrassed.
0: Oh, don't worry about it.
2: Yeah, but in front of Gold Glover? <laughs>
0: can happen to anybody really? even you <laughs> me no not me guys like you happens all the time thanks yeah you're welcome well at least that one wasn't your fault i had they let me have a lot of say in my commercials they'd have the theme and then we'd get together and, and kind of collaborate they let me kind of do what I wanted. If I wanted to add something to it, to, to give it more of like my personality, uh, we did it, but yeah, nothing but great memories. And, and uh, they do a really nice job with the commercials up there in Seattle.
1: Also, of course, I want to talk to you about your podcast. Uh, I love the podcast. I think like especially, especially like the guests that you get on there are all like my guys, like recently a big poppy on there. I love the conversation with George Brett. You also had like Sean camp on there, I believe. And uh, you had yeah. Joe McHale recently. How did yeah. this come about? Was this a, was this a lockdown thing that came about or is this something that you were this, just trying to yeah, get into?
0: Yeah. It was kind of during lockdown and I, and MLB had me out to, to, uh, New Jersey. This was right before the COVID thing. And I uh, shot about three or four episodes with MLB. And we mm-hmm. talked about, hey, we're going to do some work this year. All of a sudden, COVID came. And they locked everything down. And, and instead of adding to the MLB family, um, they, they were laying people off. So my agent came to me and he said, Brett, I, I think you should start a podcast. And, and to be honest with you, in the beginning, I wanted no part of it. I said, I'm not doing a podcast. Every, everybody does a podcast. It's like, no, I, I want you to work on this side of the microphone. You know, you used to be an interviewed your whole life. I wanted you to, to learn and, and experience what it's like to be on the other side of the microphone. So I kind of uh, begrudgingly said, okay. And I remember, uh, who was my first guest? Andre Reed. Cause he lives out here in California and uh, we we're at the gym together. And I said, Andre, you need to be my Guinea pig. He said, what do you talk about? I said, I'm starting a podcast. I need my first guest and Andre said, yeah, I'll do it. And on then I called Griffey and, and junior did it for me in the, in the very beginning. And then we just kind of started building and building. And then Odyssey, uh, you know, about six months ago, Odyssey came and said, Hey, we're interested and we'd like to join, join forces. And uh, it's been great. The, the Odyssey, Getting together with Odyssey has been a huge uh, spike for us, and, and, a, and a really good relationship. And uh, but it's been a process, and it's been it's been very humbling uh, doing this. You know, being on the other side, and and I really have an appreciation for now setting up interviews, doing interviews, deadlines uh, when somebody cancels. <laughs> You know because i used to i used to be hit with all these requests and i'd say yeah i'll do this on wednesday thursday And then on wednesday oh i can't do that today i'll do it thursday and they'd be like okay no problem we'll reschedule well now i know what it's like when you got to reschedule because now you got to get somebody in that time slot and now you got to move everything around when you're the guy that everybody's seeking the interview from you don't really think about that so it's been a learning process for me uh i i've realized how much preparation goes into it and uh, it's been good. And, and I probably do five or six shows a week now around the country uh, through the Odyssey. And it, it makes me prepare. And, and I find like now I'm up to date on everything Major League Baseball and, and uh, keeps me in the game, keeps me young, uh, gives me something to do. Because for years I, I retired and I was one of those guys who just walked away and I went and played golf and went on went on trips and and after a while I kind of woke up and my kids are getting older now. I said, I want to do something. I want to wake up in the morning and have a purpose. And uh, this has been a good outlet for me and it's turned into something pretty big now. And uh, we'll just keep going. See where it leads.
1: Yeah. I I really enjoy your show. I think it's really awesome. I think you've done a good job. I think the show keeps getting better, better. You know how to pick guests like Tom Hanks knows how to pick uh, scripts. And then of course I yeah. love the turn into with boonies always like that's more like the up-to-date stuff. That's right. Very, it, 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 I yeah, thought yeah. about
0: throwing that in as just some other, you know, content for people. And and my producer came to me and he said, you know, I think it's good for the audience to just get to know you kind of behind the scenes where you're not mm-hmm. just interviewing someone. You're not Brett Boone, the baseball player. What is Brett Boone like in real life? And uh, it's boring for me because I'm talking about myself and what I'm doing this week. But but I think it's it's a part of the podcast. It's just a unique part. Not, you know. Normally during the week, I'm going to, you know, I'll have a guest and then another guest, but this is kind of me getting to be back in that interviewee seat and, and get to talk about my week and, you know, something stupid this week is, uh, I went to Mexico and I, I have water in my ear and I can't get it out. Actually, when we're done with this podcast, I got to go to the ear, nose and throat doctor, get my <laughs> ear cleared. So half of our turn it to turn it to with Booney this week is, is talking about my ear and how I can't hear. So it's just fun stuff like that. But, um, you know, just we'll continue to 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 morph into whatever we morph into. But right now, turning it to a seems to be getting good feedback and people like it. And, and at the most, we just bring that to you once a week.
1: Yeah, I love it, and I, I'm happy you're here at Odyssey. It makes me feel good about being at Odyssey. It's kind of like we're teammates, you know. I'm yeah, we are. You're the major league. <laughs> it's very cool. Very cool. Well, well, thanks, Brett, and thanks for like everything that you've meant to us, and coming on to the show. This is really a big moment for us. I mean, it's not a lot of times you get to meet some of your heroes that you know you've in this game of baseball, and and I'm trying to say goodbye to you. I don't want Whoa. you to leave, but I know we got to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i got to get my ears cleared up. hi <laughs> right, guys. Hey, it's been a pleasure. And uh, all the best of luck to you with your podcast. I'll be checking it out. And uh, see you when I see you. Thanks, see you, brother.